Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined today by Lou Mangello, a Walt Disney World expert, and we're going to explore how his podcast went from a hobby to a full-time business, and it's my hope that you'll find a lot of inspiration. I've also got a really interesting discovery that I want to share with you right now. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. Is your computer kind of slow? Have you noticed that uh, when you try to go out on the internet or on social networks that all of a sudden it just seems pokey and you can't seem to explain why? Well, you actually might have malware and or Trojan horses that are on your computer and doing things that you don't realize or maybe prepared and ready to do things that you don't even realize. And, you know, I recently discovered this, uh, that I had tons and tons of malware on three of my computers. And I was like shocked. So I've got a couple of free tools that I want to mention to you. Um, the first one is for the Mac and it's called Clam, C-L-A-M-X-A-V, Clam X-A-V. And if you're a Windows person, there's a piece of software called malicious software removal from Microsoft. And I'll have the link in the show notes. Um, the one I'm going to talk about is the Mac one because I'm a Mac user, but bottom line is, you know, um, this is important regardless of what platform you happen to be on. So I ran this, um, clam XAV tool on my Mac and it took quite some time, but it literally scanned everything and it found, malicious code and Trojan horses and malware in email, believe it or not, of all things. Um, spam email that I got, for example. It found it in downloaded files that I didn't even realize were on my computer. And I think it even found it in cached information that was cached inside of uh, my browser uh, files. So I think it found a couple hundred different, different things that uh, were shocking to me. And especially for those Mac users out there, we tend to not think that uh, our computer is ever going to have a virus or any of these kind of things because you just don't hear about it as much as you do on Windows. But I want you to download and try one of these um, softwares. Clam XAV is really easy to use. It'll identify all sorts of things likely on your computer and you can right click and you can choose to move those to the trash and delete them or to quarantine them. And it's, you know, it takes a, a little bit to set up, but once you use it, um, I think you'll, you'll thank me. So that's my find of the week. 
I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Okay, with that, let's transition over to here from Lou Mangello. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined by Lou Mangello. If you don't know who Lou is, he's a Walt Disney expert and host of WDW Radio, which is a podcast focused on Walt Disney World. And as a matter of fact, that podcast has won Best Travel Podcast eight years in a row, which is crazy. He's authored very many Disney-related books, including the Walt Disney World Trivia Book and 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and he blogs at WDWRadio.com. Lou, welcome to the show. Michael, thank you so very much for having me. So today we're going to explore how you, Lou, pursued your passion, which I assume is Disney, and how with the help of podcasting, it turned out to be a full-time thing for you, Lou. So I'm making some presumptions. You and I have met and we're friends, but I haven't really explored your story before. So let's start with your story. Um, what were you doing before the podcast and what led you you know, down the road to the Disney podcast? Well, it's, it's a, been a very circuitous route, but uh, I used to be a lawyer back in New Jersey, which are two things I ask you not to hold against me. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, way back, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, I, I practiced law for a number of years. Also had an IT consulting company on the side, which means I didn't sleep very much. But I always had this love and this interest in Disney and Walt Disney World. I've been going since 1971 every year with my parents. And because I was always in the service business, I had this idea of making something once and reselling it. And all I really knew about was not law or computers, but Disney World. So I set out a personal challenge. Can I write a book and can I get it published? Can it be validated by somebody? Found a publisher, signed a, a three-book deal. And when the book came out and I saw it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, I thought that was it. Um, but slowly, very quickly, actually, my, my little two-page brochure website turned into articles, which turned into a discussion forum. And I saw podcasting coming down the pike in 2005. I realized the medium, however new it was, was so much more powerful than anything I could write. Uh, long story longer, I started podcasting, doing videos, creating other products and doing events, things like that. And I have been... Uh, really doing this full-time since 2007. I sold everything I had in New Jersey. I packed up the Honda Odyssey and moved to Orlando. 
Wow. Okay. So let me just unpack this a little bit. So you were an attorney and an IT guy, and um, it sounds like you really didn't love all the all the, uh, <laughs> all the things that came with that, although I'm sure you thought you would when you first pursued those professions. And your real passion was to do something with Disney, and you decided that you wanted to write a book. So right out of the gate, what, what year was that when you decided that you wanted to write a book about Disney? This is probably 2002, 2003. How did you actually go about trying to find someone to publish that book? Because it sounds like you didn't have much of a platform at that time, or did you? No, I had nothing. Um, I really just had this this interest for of Disney. Um, I had the idea. I asked my also very supportive wife what she thought. She said, well, I said, I want to write a book. She goes, all I know about is Disney World. And I went down the basement and started writing and haven't really come up since. Um, so I, you know, vanity publishing and self-publishing really didn't exist back then. And I wanted somebody to tell me that what I was doing was worth it. So I went out and I learned everything I could about the book publishing industry. I went to Barnes & Noble. I took every Disney guidebook off the shelf, turned it over, wrote down the name of every publisher and started reaching out. And I got 49 rejection letters from 49 different publishers until I finally found one who was in this space and they liked the idea and, and signed a book deal with them. So you were relentless to say the least, right? <laughs> yeah, you have to be. You have to be. Now, how did, okay, so you wrote the book. How did the book do? The book did great. And it really, you know, I didn't care about the numbers. It certainly wasn't about making money, <laughs> you know, unless you're on like, unless Oprah mentions you, you're not going to make a fortune selling books, especially if you have a publisher. It was just that sense of accomplishment um, to see if I could do it and if somebody would publish it and, you know, make my mom and dad proud or I held that book in my hand. You know, the book did great and it's really evergreen. It's not time sensitive. So it's still out there and still, you know, the first of, of a trilogy of trivia books, um, you know, is, is still kind of going strong. Interesting. So, okay, lead us a little bit further down the path. So the book, you know, you wrote the book, which is kind of interesting. It's a little, you know, different than a lot of the stories we hear from people, which is first they did the blog or the podcast and then wrote the book. You, you actually did it the more traditional, you know, way. And surprisingly, you got a book deal. And we should probably tell a lot of people that it's very hard nowadays to get a book deal without a platform. Um, I think you would probably agree with that, wouldn't you, Lou? Most definitely. So how, so tell us, how did you go from the book to starting the blog? Because it sounds like that was next in your journey. Yeah, and just really quickly to go back about sort of finding a publisher. I think now in 2014, you don't need to sort of be published by somebody else. You can really kill it by self-publishing, and there's so many great platforms. Actually, I've self-published a book too, and I think there's a lot of advantages to that. Um, but as I started with the book and I was – this is going to show how old I am. Like I was on things like Usenet news groups and early discussion forums. I saw that there was a community of people out there that was interested in Disney the same way I was. And I was getting so many emails that I was responding to that were similar. I said, well, let me just start writing these down as articles, which I guess what blog posts were back in 2003. And then I created a discussion forum, a V bulletin discussion forum on my site. And the first night I turned it on, like 29 people signed up. And I was like, my God, like there's 29 other total Disney dorks that sit in their basement and love Disney as much as I do. Like I couldn't believe these people were out there because there was no social media at that point. And that number very organically grew from 29 to 1,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 to 50,000. And I was like, wow, like there, there's something out here. And you were using like bulletin board systems or something back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and online forums and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, it, still, it still is going strong. There's still a community that's very active because that's where they call home. That's their clubhouse. Very intriguing. So a couple take home lessons to people that are listening right now is that if you have a passion 
and you discover that there are other people that also share that passion, um, but maybe there's not a place for them to to interact, why not build it? Because it sounds like that's what you did. Is that right, Lou? Absolutely. So how did that building of that community end up leading to the next thing? So the community is growing. I started working on my second book the day after the first book had come out. And fast forward to about 2005, you know, this community is very active. And I realized that, that I am not alone and I'm sort of with my people. And I started hearing about this thing called podcasting. And I was always very sort of tech savvy because I had been in IT. And I had a buddy who was also in the, the Disney space as well. And we started talking about it and said, you know, what do you say we give this a shot? Like, this just sounds interesting. Like, you no longer need to be hired on a radio show to broadcast your message. Of course, not knowing in 2005, A, what we were doing and how to sort of, you know, hand code our, our XML feeds. And two, if people could even find it, because it wasn't in iTunes. It was very difficult to subscribe back then. But the story was very much the same way. That first week, we had a few hundred downloads, and that few hundred turned into a few thousand very quickly. Because the Disney community, these people were very hungry and, and still are hungry for content. So back when you started your podcast, was it, you said 2005, 2006, somewhere right around then? Yeah, I think our first episode um, of, my, of my earlier show came out in like August of 2005. And how many episodes have you published you, to date, do you think? Uh, so I had a, a show for about a year. We did about 70 episodes there. I'm almost at 400 uh, on WR Radio, not including like live newscasts and videos and things like that too. Wow, so about four hundred audio files. So you've done you've done over four hundred shows, <laughs> and and technically you get on you got in on the first major wave of podcasting, right? I mean, back in two thousand five, two thousand six, that was when it was really hot for the first time, and then it kind of died off. But you stuck with it. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You know, going through wave one into wave two, how has that been for you? And wave one, I'm using air quotes as if you could see me. Wave one was very interesting because the struggle was explaining to people what a podcast is and how do you find it and having to download software and write in the XML file and, and understand what this on-demand content was going to be because it really didn't exist back then. And then I did see it sort of ebb and flow and grow and shrink and it went from this thing that 14-year-old kids did in their basement to all of a sudden – Look at all these major media and TV personalities starting and really crushing it in the podcasting space. And I think still, I think we are on the cusp of what is going to be the real big revolution and explosion. I think things like CarPlay are going to be huge game changers. The fact that the podcast app is going to be built into iOS is going to be a big game changer for this platform. And for those that don't know what CarPlay is or what Lou's talking about, it's a product by Apple that integrates into the dashboard of Nearly every major automo automobile manufacturer has signed on to this, and I believe there are 2014 or no, 2015 cars, I think. It'll allow basically your dashboard to be like a, a monitor or a terminal, right? And certain kinds of apps on your smartphone will actually be displayed right up there. And in my mind, this is kind of like satellite radio, but with podcasting on demand, right? So people will be able to very easily subscribe to Lou's show or my show, and that could really change everything, huh, Lou? Well, because I think the, the difficulty has always been, okay, I have a podcast. What you need to do is download iTunes and go to iTunes and type this in. It, it was too difficult. By making it a simple one-click thing, like terrestrial radio, like your TV, like satellite radio, it is going to be mo so much more accessible. And all of a sudden, people are going to realize, hey, I don't need to tune in to this station and hope that they play something that I like. 
I can go out and actively search the topics that I want to hear about and get them on demand. And I don't have to choose between, you know, Howard Stern and whoever else is on at nine o'clock. I can just get the, this content, however, wherever, and whenever I want it. So going back to your podcast, the, um, I'm assuming while you were writing that book, you, you were still, you know, working in IT or, and, or an attorney, right? So there must've come a point where you said, okay, this is this Disney thing and these forums and, you know, your articles that you were writing on your blog were getting to a certain point where you realized that maybe you should make the jump from maybe having this be a hobby into a full-time profession. Is that accurate? And if so, kind of what was your turning point for you? Yeah. So as the site was starting to grow, obviously I had little things on there like AdSense and some affiliate programs. I was making some money here and there. Certainly not enough, even with the sales of the book, to quit my job. And at one point, I had actually left the practice of law, sold my IT consulting company, and I was the chief technology officer for a medical imaging company like MRI and CAT scan and things like that. So I, I, had, a, I had a good job. I was doing very well. And really everything changed for me one day with one phone call. Hmm. Uh, my wife hands me the phone and somebody says, hey, Lou, I'm from such and such company. I've been listening to the show for a while. I love what you do. How much to, to sponsor your show? And I looked back at my phone and I, cause I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, uh, let me send you an email and I'll put together a proposal together. And I hung up the phone. I was like, well, now what do I do? I, I was so woefully unprepared. I was like, wait a minute, somebody wants to pay me to do what I'm doing anyway, to talk about Walt Disney world. And that was a game changer for me. And as time went on, I realized, Hey, there's a way that I could turn this hobby, this little thing that people still you're like, wait, you're talking about Mickey Mouse every week and people want to pay you and listen? And I said, yeah. And there's a way that I could turn this into a business. Was it a travel-related company just out of curiosity? Yeah. And, and fortunately, it was something very organic to what I was doing. It's a company that provided a service to people traveling to Walt Disney World and who are huge Disney fans. And, and that has always been you know, one of the things I require is that any advertiser has got to be very, very organic and heavily vetted um, before I'll, I'll certainly endorse them. Okay. So up to this point, like how far along in your podcast journey were you when this happened? So this was in 2005. I was probably six to nine months in. So this was very there. early in your podcast journey. So, so did, so I, I'm assuming you were able to close them as a, as a, as an advertiser and did that, was that the begin? you know, how much longer was it before you were able to say, okay, this podcast and this, this blog are actually generating enough revenue that I can make it full time. Yeah, so fortunately, and I give the credit to the woman that reached out to me because she got it. She understood what I was doing because I will tell you that not just for months, but for years, you would talk to potential sponsors or advertisers and need to explain to them what a podcast is. And, you know, you can't measure clicks and there's certain things that they were used to seeing or doing in the ad space that they could not wrap their heads around. And still there's some old guard out there that think it doesn't. So I was able to close that, that deal and it worked out very well for her. And she built some incredible brand equity because of the relationship that we had. And as I'm in New Jersey, I'm sort of flying back and forth to Florida once, twice, sometimes three times a month and I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I need to go all in. And I really think that I can do it. I didn't set out with a business plan. I didn't figure out all the numbers. But I was like, if I'm going to do it, I need to be where what I talk about is. And again, fortunately, great support system around me of family. And I sold the house. I thought I was going to live in forever. I brought money to my closing, and which is not what you were supposed to do. But it was the leap of faith that, that I and, and we had to take 
Um, and like I said, I packed up the minivan and moved to Florida and uh, I, I dedicated myself full time to it. Wow. A lot of people are listening right now and they're like thinking, I wish I could do that. What do you want to say? Or he's to, crazy. You, or or well, he's no, a crazy but man. Ser- I know some people right now are thinking that I really want to do what Lou did. What do you want to say to them? What was going through your brain when you did that? And, and what do you want to say to the person right now who's thinking, man, you know, um, I would love to do what Lou did. It's okay to be scared. It, it is okay to be scared and it's normal to be scared. And we, and I'm sure you know this, Michael, we as entrepreneurs and solopreneurs get scared all the time. Because we are the people that are steering the ship. Sometimes we're the only people on the ship. So we're doing a lot of different jobs at the same time. You do need at some point to take a leap of faith. And and when I say that, it's important to understand you need to have the parachute first before you take that leap. So figure out, okay, if if no money starts coming in tomorrow, how long can I go for? How long are my my kids going to be able to eat at least a couple of times a week? You know, can I still afford the mortgage in school? Don't do anything you know, drastic without having sort of a a game plan behind it or having that snowball already starting to roll. But you do at some point need to, in many cases, say, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to start taking action right now. Because it's very easy to make excuses as to all the different reasons why we're not going to start or what we're waiting for. Tomorrow never comes, right? You you need to start doing something, even take small steps today. And and it's, it's okay to be, I think fear sometimes is a great motivator, at least for me it is. Right. And it's okay to be a little afraid. Well, and it's it's really intriguing, Lou, because you had every reason not to, you had young children, right? I'm guessing they were really young back then. Am I right? You had a mortgage, you had a good job, you had everything. You had the American dream, didn't you? I did. And and I will tell you, a lot of people told me that I was crazy. (laughs) What they still they, tell me I'm crazy. <laughs> but now, you know, it was clearly the right move. Um, and, Absolutely. you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, where, where's, your, where's your business at today? Wh- whatever you can share. Yeah, so I'm happy to be, you know, as, as transparent as you would like me to be. So the, the business has grown in ways that I never would have anticipated when I started writing the book. So I've written two books. I've self-published a book. I published and eventually sold a print magazine. I have created uh, products like audio tours. I do a lot of live events. I do a lot of things in person with uh, my audience. And so the Disney side of the business has really grown a lot. And to be perfectly clear and transparent, I am not paid by the company at all. I, I don't work for the company. I pay full price for my tickets, for my meals. You mean for Disney everything. when you say the Disney. company? Yeah, exactly. Correct. Right, right. I am not an employee of the Disney company. Um, everything I say and do is my own uh, because you know, I'm a fan first. I love talking about the things that simply make us happy about going to that place. So I do a very positive show because I want it to be a break for people from the everyday, you know, doldrums of, of working in the frozen tundra in the middle of winter and they wish that they were at Disney. And then it's funny, Mike, because these secondary and tertiary businesses have kind of grown from there. So I've started to do a lot of speaking to businesses and to individuals. And I like helping people. I, I love talking to kids and going to schools and letting them know that, hey, you know, that, that path that we were told as kids, which was go to school, go to college, get a job you hate, work from nine to five, get home. Then you can work on what you love. That doesn't fly anymore. Like that is not the case anymore in 2014 because whether you're never too old or too young to realize that there's tools and opportunities at your disposal to start doing what you love and yeah, potentially do it full time. And, and yes, and it's okay to make money doing what you love. 
Well, and I just want to reiterate that, um, you know, Lou, you and I have kind of gone down similar paths, except I was wrongfully terminated from my job. So I was forced into it. You know what I mean? Um, but I did shut down a very successful business to start social media examiner and everybody thought that I was crazy and I was making a lot of money in that business, but I saw, I saw something, you know, I, I could see that there was a community out there that was craving for what it is that I could deliver to them and that I did deliver to them. And I am so glad and, you know, just like you are not, once you have a platform as big as you do, Lou, really, you could do just about anything with it because this is something everyone needs to really pay attention to. The key to having a popular book or having a product or service that people want to buy is having an audience first. And Lou has such a massive audience that Lou could keep spinning off companies for the rest of his life if he wanted to. Couldn't you, Lou? Well, yes and no. As long as, as long as the Disney brand remains popular, you know what I mean? And as long as people are interested in Walt Disney, I, I think said that way, don't you think that there's a lot of things that you could do with that, that perhaps, you know, if you had more time, you, you could keep doing lots of things with it. Absolutely. And as long as the quality of what I put out would stay at that level, I, you know, like Disney, because we have a certain level of expectation when we hear the Disney name or go to the Disney parks. I also feel that I need to keep that level up as well. Plus, my name is on it. So I won't create something just for the sake of doing it. I won't do it unless I could do it right. So let's go back to your podcast for a minute. Um, share with us kind of what the format of your show is so that, you know, people in their mind that maybe want to start a podcast can be thinking, you know, if I were to create a podcast like Lou's with the hope that maybe someday I might get a sponsor, how does Lou do it? Talk to me a little bit about how you, you know, how your show is put together. So it really goes back even to the name. Like I chose WDW radio because back in 2005, when people didn't know what a podcast was, I wanted them to understand. They would hear the word radio and understand exactly what my show was. So like an old radio show, the beginning of my show every week has a different sort of sound like I'm tuning the dial with different clips and segments from attractions and shows because I want to invite them in. I want them to get them into mood. I want to make them smile when they hear a familiar song or a saying. And then I do a different segment every week that could be everything from vacation planning to interviews to history, trivia, deep dives into attractions. I do reviews. I do live restaurant reviews where I just take the mic and I sit down with some friends and sit around the table and record ourselves at the restaurant because I want to give people the sense that they are at the table with me. I want to hear the, the ambiance of the, the sounds and the music in the background and the forks clanging. And that's always been the format, Mike. I've wanted people to feel like they are sitting around a diner table. There's the jersey coming out. Sitting around a table at a diner with good friends talking about something that they all love, talking about the things that make them happy about going to this place and getting valuable content and learning things along the way, things that they could take with them either as they're planning their vacation or giving them a little bit of the Disney magic wherever they are, even if they can't get there for the next year or two. Okay. One of the questions that's going through my brain is I can visualize you inside of a restaurant or are, are, are the employees looking at you kind of weird? Like who is this guy with microphone <laughs> set up on a table when everybody else has like strollers next to him? <laughs> yeah, man. I get some really weird looks in the parks, right? If I'm walking around with my portable recorder or if I'm live broadcasting, I used to carry around my laptop as I was live streaming through the park. So I, you get used to, uh, you get used to, to the, uh, the odd looks every so often. And do they know you at Disney? Um, I mean, they, or are you, 
kind of just another guest as far as Disney's concerned? I'm just another guest. I don't tell them that I'm coming. I don't make special reservations. What I'll normally do is tell the server, hey, don't look at me weird as more weird that you already are. I'm going to just be doing a live recording. Is that okay with you? And, you know, if they want to say something, that's fine. But usually it's just the dialogue between, you know, the friends and I. Or I'll ask the server about the story or the restaurant or, or whatever it may be. Interesting. And how long is your show duration-wise? So the show runs about an hour, um, but it is, it's very content-heavy. So it's meant to be very free-flowing and very conversational, but it, it really is all about providing valuable content. So it's kind of like the interview that we're doing, except you be inter- you, if, if, if you were me and, um, and, um, and you were somebody who maybe was someone who, who was somehow affiliated with Disney, you would be interviewing them and, 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 and basically informing your audience about something about Disney maybe they didn't know. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, so I do interviews all the time, and you know, one of the, the blessings as a Disney fan is I've gotten to talk to people that are important to me as a Disney fan. So whether it's Julie Andrews or Don Hahn or Alan Menken or, or Bob Iger, I do sort of that interview you know, discussion as well in terms of you know, I'm asking the questions that I as a fan want to ask. Very intriguing. And how often do you publish? Uh, I do an audio podcast every week. I do a live video broadcast, like a Ustream broadcast, because I like the two-way conversation. Also every Wednesday, which I also put out in iTunes and YouTube, and I try and publish a a video into the iTunes feed uh, about every week or so. Now, talk to me a little bit about um, the, the doors that have been opened for you as a result of your podcast, and I'm not just talking about possibly doors at Disney, but in general, what has the podcast allowed you to do um, that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do without the podcast? So first and foremost, it gave me access to incredible content. When I first started my writing my book back in 2003, I would go to Disney and say, hey, I'm writing this book. I just want to make sure the information is accurate. And they said, look, you're not media. You're not a newspaper TV or radio. And those are the only things that we consider media. So I didn't want anything for free. I just wanted access. And I really did have to, in a good way, keep knocking on the door and try and build up a level of credibility and trust with them. And then eventually they let me, you know, in that door a little bit and then sort of open that door to me and have been very, very wonderful to work with in terms of getting access to the content and being able to broadcast in the parks and and get invited to media events, which was incredibly validating to me and for what I've done, uh, from a business sense, you know, I've certainly been able to grow to, you know, the video and live broadcast events and, and more products, uh, and has led to some of those other businesses, you know, from the podcast itself. So what's your take? Um, do, does a company like Disney now consider a podcast, especially a big podcast like yours now media? Is there a beginning of a leveling out, if you will, that, that, um, you know, and I know you can only speak for your Disney experience, but, you know, our podcasters more perceived to be media now than perhaps they were a few years ago. I think so. Uh, and I think Disney is a great example of a brand that realizes that they are no longer in complete control of their message. It is not just what they put out because we who are bloggers and podcasters and you streamers and, and YouTubers now are influencing other people based on our discussions of that brand. And I think Disney realizes that, that we as third-party content creators offer something that Disney cannot in terms of, look, if Disney goes out and says, hey, go eat at Pecos Bills, it's the best hamburger on property, 
it's simply a marketing message, right? It's a, it's a PR message. If I go out and I do a live review and I'm like, oh my God, Mike, this is the best hamburger you've ever had. You've got to go to Pecos Bills. It carries a very different weight because hopefully I've built up a level of trust and influence and authority with my audience of like, hey, Lou said it's a, it, you know, it sounds like it's a great burger. We should go and try it out. And I think Disney understands that and, and they realize that. And, and I think they're one of the brands that are, that are embracing that very well. One of the things that I love about podcasting is um, the relationship that you can build with the listener, even though technically it is a broadcast mechanism, right? Where um, tens of thousands of people are listening to this interview right now, but they're listening at different times and when they want to. I know, at least from my own show, that the people that listen to this show are my most loyal, fanatical, in a good way, fans. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they are the people that never miss a show. And I'm sure you experience the same kind of community. My question for you, the lead up for this is, you know, how do you foster a community with your listeners, if at all? It sounds like your live Ustream is one of those things, but what do you do to kind of give the community a chance to interact with you in a non-passive way, which is definitely what's going on with the listeners right now as they're listening to this show? I think it's really the most important part of what I do. And for me, I think it's most important what I have always done from that first person that signed up on my discussion forum, you treat them as friends, right? Because that's how they look at you. Mike, I'm sure you know how many hundreds of times have people come up to you and they shake your hand, they put their arm on you and they, and they thank you for what you do because they look at you as a friend. And, and forgive me, I hate the word fan. I don't like the word fan. I don't like follower. I don't, you treat people as friends because that's how they see you, whether they're listening to the show or watching your videos or commenting on Twitter or whatever it is. And so I engage them and I treat them that way by I, – I reply to every single email, sometimes a little late, that I get. Because if you're going to email me, you better believe I'm going to give you the courtesy of a personal response. Mm. Of course, we're part of the conversations on the social channels, right? And, and we have to be everywhere and I know how difficult that is because I, I, I believe in creating content in the places that people are most comfortable consuming it. So I have to be on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest and everywhere else. But I like making them a part of what I do. I've always been frustrated by everything I'm doing is such a one-way push conversation. It's a book. It's a magazine. It's an audio tour. It's a podcast. It's a blog post. I want them to be a part of it. So I'll answer their emails on the show. I'll have them be part of a blog post by sending in, you know, selfies for like self-shot Tuesdays. I play and answer the voicemails. And I think that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So I have monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. I, people want to belong, right? They want to be part of this, this in-person kind of group and community. And I do special events, you know, in Walt Disney World and on cruise lines and around the country. And that's the big leap that I think people need to make sure that they make is taking these online engagements and bringing them offline as well. Well, I love that. And um, I think that's that, you know, what you've just said there is kind of a secret sauce thing, you know, meetups, having a meetup really, it doesn't need to be complicated. Can you kind of share what you do for meetups just so people can understand how they might be able to do it? And you're right. It is not complicated at all. Right. And depending on what your podcast about or what your platform is, you know, find a way to get together at a park or wherever it is that you talk about. I have monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. I was going back and forth to the parks so often. I would get emails from people saying, oh, I'm going to be in the park such and such a date. I'd love to meet up and say hi. So I said, well, look, I'm going to be there anyway. Let's just meet up at, you know, the Boardwalk Bakery on Saturday from 9 to 11. 
never knowing who might show up and who wouldn't. And I, that, I started doing that back in January 2008, and I've done one every month in Walt Disney World and, and other Disney parks since then. So what's that? Six, you know, more than six and a half years I've been doing that. And it gives people a chance not to come and meet me, but for me to meet them, for me to say thank you to them, for them to meet each other and realize they are part of a community of real people. And I've seen, look, my best friends have co- that I've met have come out of these meetups. I've seen three engagements come out of it and countless wow. friendships. And you can't replace the in-person things with anything you could do online. So it is very simple just to find a place to get together, whether it's a bar, a restaurant, a park, whatever it may be, you know, as often as you want or just a one-off. And, you know, I have not done a lot of these meetups, but one, one cool way to do a meetup is if you're going to be at a conference. And I'm sure, I don't know, Lou, you've probably participated in meetups. Maybe you've had some at different conferences, but you know, we've done this, for example, if we're going to be at blog world or, you know, someone's going to be at social media marketing world or content marketing world or, um, any other conference just saying, Hey, I'm going to be there and we're going to meet up here at this time. And boom, people come out of the woodwork, don't they? I mean, it's, it's crazy. People look for a reason to get together. And then I think, like you said, when you get a chance to shake hands with someone, that's that face-to-face thing goes so much lo- so much further than just an interaction on Twitter. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And you're right. And I've done it. And I, and I was like, oh, nobody's going to show up. I'm going to be out in Las Vegas. I'm going to be out in San Diego. Nobody's going to come, you know, because they're, I'm not at Disney World. And then I'm surprised when 75, 100 people show up at a Starbucks. That's because, crazy. Yeah, because, <laughs> because they just, they're like, well, finally, you know, what I love is coming to where I am. I don't have to go travel somewhere to be a part of it. And we just happen to be there, right? So it could be at a food court, at a mall. It could be at a Starbucks. It could be, you know, at the casino in Las Vegas, wherever it might be. But it's amazing to see that. Um, and again, the importance of the human touch and the human interaction. That's crazy. Um, so for the person who's listening right now, who's not yet started a podcast since you've been doing this so long and since you have an award winning show, do you want to give any tips to, to anybody thinking about getting started? Just some very simple tips. So I I hear this all the time. And look, if you haven't started yet, don't worry about the technology. Like that's honestly the easiest part, what to buy and the mixer and the software and iTunes. That's simple. Like you can learn that very, very quickly. It's really about finding your voice. And I know people throw the word passion around a lot, but I believe you have to have that, especially in podcasting, because you can write or blog about something that maybe you aren't really that interested in or really passionate about, but you've got to be passionate about the podcast topic. And why? It's because people can hear it in your voice. They can tell if you're excited. They can tell if you're smiling. They can tell if you are mad or angry or whatever. They can hear through the audios and they can tell if you are not being authentic. So if you don't know what your passion is, right? I I was lucky. I knew what my passion was from the very beginning. You know, what do you think about every day? What do you think about every morning when you get up? What do you think about before you go to sleep at night? That's it. That's the thing. So just start. Just start recording. Take your iPhone, take your computer headset and record three to five episodes before you even think about launching. Because one, you're giving people something to listen and subscribe to, right? They might like the first episode, give them a couple more, but it also lets you find your voice, start gaining rhythm, start getting momentum and get on a schedule because you do need to be consistent. And then, you know, don't, don't worry about trying new things. And, and Mike, I, I know not everybody agrees with me on this, but I hear people talk about this all the time. And for me, don't worry about the numbers, 
Like, don't worry about the numbers. For me, it's only important when it comes to, you know, talking to possible sponsors or, or for some social proof. Look, grow your audience. Yes, focus on that. But don't worry about the actual numbers. Don't worry about checking every day or every week to see how they've changed or went up or down because you're going to lose focus, right? If you've got five listeners, treat those five listeners like they're five million because they're going to hear it and they're going to appreciate it and they're going to become your most loyal advocates and evangelists and they, in turn, will help you grow your audience. And just to give some perspective, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. If you had 50 people listening to your podcast every week, which isn't a huge number and isn't that hard to achieve, I don't think. Um, that Imagine going into a room, like a meetup, with 50 people, and every week they're listening to you. I mean, would, you know, would you like to walk into a room and have 50 people sit down and listen to you for 30 to 45 minutes or however long your show is going to be every week? Heck yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about podcasting is it's serialized content. It's like Netflix. Once someone subscribes, they often go back and download all the old episodes. Have you found that to be true about your show? Absolutely. Which sometimes I think is crazy because I'm up, you know, I'm near 400 and they go, oh, I'm going back and listening from show number one. I'm like, oh my God, that's, first of all, don't listen to show number one because it was awful, but you know, that's amazing, (laughs) right? It's amazing that people go back and they want to hear it. And I think that's really a, a testament to, again, that sense of, like you said, they, they love what you're doing. They want as much of it as they can possibly get. Yeah. And, you know, today it might be five or 50, but the good news is that that episode down the road could be many, many hundreds or many, many thousands because of the way people consume content on podcasts. So you have to be thinking about not just the people that are listening today, but the people that will be listening many, many months from today. And in your case, Lou, even many, many years later, right? Isn't it crazy to think that people are listening to a show that's like seven years old? Absolutely. And I, it's funny because I'll still get tweets about shows from like five years ago. I did something like the top 10 smells of Walt Disney World. And so I was like, oh, I just listened to that show and I get it. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, that musty water smell in Pirates of the Caribbean. And they feel the need to share it on Twitter. So you're right. You never know who's listening and you never know when they might be listening either. Well, thank you, Lou. Um, my hope is that someone listening right now is inspired by your story and is going to take the next step. And, you know, begin down the path to their next podcast. Um, I think you have an incredible story. I think anybody who loves anything related to Disney should definitely check out your show. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can discover more about you, Lou, and, and your podcast? Sure. So my Disney podcast and the blog and everything else can be found over at WDWradio.com. You could also go to my personal site, which is loumangelo.com. You can find out more about what I do and, and speaking and, and coaching and things like that. And I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else at Lou Mangello. M-O-N-G-E-L-L-O. Hey, Lou, thank you so much for sharing time with us today. And I really appreciate you and um, all the things you share with us today. Hey, man, thank you so very much for having me. I really do appreciate it, Mike. Well, I hope if you're thinking about podcasting, you found some inspiration in today's episode. If there's anything that we mentioned on today's show and you missed it, don't worry. We take the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 106. And also, I wanted to remind you, if you've been listening to the show for a while and you haven't already done so, would you consider heading over to iTunes and giving us a rating and or a review? And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. The easiest way to get there is to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. This brings us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week 
I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.